Hey everybody, welcome to the Catholic Influencers Podcast. A conversation to help Catholic influencers like you and me go deeper and further in influencing our world for Jesus. I'm your host, Father Rob Gallia. And I'm your co-host, Danny Sullivan. And today we look forward to hearing a story about conversion from Protestant to Catholic. Hey, Father Rob. Hey, Danny. How are you? I'm well. I'm doing well. <laughs> That's good. It's a nice cold day. It is very chilly and I underestimated how cold it was going to be and I'm regretting my cardigan choice. It's very thin material, so I've got a scarf on as well and the heater pumping in the office. And I'm in a t-shirt. But look, it's, it's, I've been walking yeah. a lot. How many steps have you done today? I don't know, not many. Okay, I've done 3,485, which is not much because my dog is not with me. So usually I do more steps. Oof. How many have you done? Just over 2,000 because 2,000. I've been in the office all day so far. Yeah, fair enough. And I've had a couple of meetings. What did you do over the week, weekend week? Oh, I had a really busy weekend actually, but it was quite fun. So I did a lot of driving. I think I spent no less than two hours in the car every day. Wow. Um, going like Bendigo, Shepparton, Bendigo, Melbourne, Shepparton, Bendigo. And you sent me your itinerary. I'll be going from here today, the, this day and that day. I thought you needed to know like if I needed to be a courier for you. Your dog goes for my dog, yeah. So I was like, I'll just tell him all my trips and maybe one of them will work. <laughs> will fit in to bring the dog to me or away from me. Yeah, but I think your reply was, you're useless. So <laughs> All the trips were away. Yeah, probably didn't need to spend ages typing them out. Yeah. It was a good weekend with family as well. My little brother who lives in another state, he's home for the week. Oh, so. very nice. He's a pilot. He's studying to be a pilot? Uh, he's a pilot he's now a pilot. and he's a flight instructor. So it's wow. a bit crazy that my 20-year-old brother is teaching people how to fly planes. But he turns 21 tomorrow, and oh. yesterday he got all four wisdom teeth out. So oh that'll be goodness. a fun birthday for him. Well, there you go, with a puffed-out face and, and bedridden in pain, being pampered. Oh, you're not optimistic about your <laughs> brother's recovery. <laughs> well, my week was good as well. I had um, Yesterday was a, a busy day, spoke at a school, um, and was in the recording studio, um, and had a couple of meetings as well drove around. Um, I spent about maybe four or five hours in the car yesterday, but most of it in the traffic of Melbourne. Anyway, but um, today we're going to talk to, uh, look, I listened to the interview that we just had, uh, that we're going to have, that you are going to listen to. I was just so moved. I I was driving this morning and I'm listening to this interview and I was almost in tears just listening to this story of conversion, the story um, of of Elisa. Elisa um, was part of our youth group and very much involved as a musician as well but also just to hear a story which i didn't even know mm-hmm. you know a story for, of of her conversion from protestantism like and to to catholicism you know i was privileged to do the interview with elisa and it was so beautiful like i went to her home and we just had a time of prayer beforehand then the interview and then afterwards i was just telling father of that we played settlers of Catan or Catan, mm. however you pronounce it that's and a board game it's a board, a board game, game. Yeah. i didn't win but it was just the most beautiful fruitful time and i was so upset when i had to leave mm. i was like oh i guess i should go back to my own home now <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, not just the interview eh? these yeah. things get you connected with people exactly but then while she was sharing her story 
story. It was one that I knew parts of, but I'd never heard her say it from start to finish. Yes. So it was so beautiful to just sit there and hear her share her story. It was, yeah, such an honour. And because I knew her when she was 15. And That's right. We've been in and out of contact since. I got to design her wedding invites, actually. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So it was really nice just to kind of have all these little connections and then this conversation and this time for this podcast. And then this is going to be shared worldwide. Like it's yeah. so crazy how I mean, God works. It is. It is amazing. And we're blessed that we have people like this that we've been interviewing um, and getting to know. I've been really learning a lot from this podcast. Um, but today we're going to talk, uh, um, and that's what Elisa is going to talk about, it's a conversion. Yeah. Um, and what, what what is conversion? You see, um, I, first of all, I'd say this. Conversion is not a one-off thing, okay? We're constantly going through conversion. But conversion means like a, a conversion of a currency or a conversion of anything is that you're going one way and turning it another, turning to another. The um, Greek word is metanoia. It means that you're going in one direction and then you stop and then you turn around. So she had a couple of conversions. The first was to Christianity and then from there another conversion to Catholicism. And it's a, I think it's just a beautiful journey to see her go from one step to another to a deeper understanding of, of the faith. But her conversion obviously hasn't stopped there, just like your conversion hasn't stopped there. My conversion hasn't stopped there. I'm constantly stopping and turning around. In fact, that's what my uh, uh, latest album is all about. You know, when I recorded this album, it's about conversions, about coming home. You, you think you've made it, like you converted to Christianity. You think you've made it, but you have to come again to a deeper understanding of the faith. Absolutely. And I think like the more that you grow in your faith, the more you realize how you know far away you can stray still so there's that conversion of okay i'm in i'm on this journey i'm you know doing everything i can but then you're enlightened and you're like oh but this particular sin in my life or this part of my life i need to turn around from that yes there is so much conversion just daily in our lives absolutely and i think when we stop converting we stop looking deep inside um, i think it was plato or um, who said an unexamined life is not worth living. So it's about us looking into our lives and constantly coming into conversion, constantly changing, constantly becoming holier. And you think of the great saints. I'm just thinking like of St. Paul and St. Peter. They're constantly, even after the death of Jesus, Peter was still going through a conversion, um, uh, coming to a deeper understanding of Jesus. Um, it, it, it is a beautiful story. We're all, we all have our own conversion. But also in this interview, we learn a little bit about the different between um, what it means to be a Protestant to what it is to, to be a Catholic. I think one thing we do have and the fundamental thing that we do have in common with Protestantism, all kinds, whether it's Pentecostal, whether it's um, Anglican, all is that we um, have Jesus is the source, Jesus is the summit of everything, everything that we have. And then we have the personification, the presence of Jesus through the Eucharist, which they, um, Protestants, don't have. They don't believe in the Eucharist. They don't believe and hold on to the sacraments like we do as the real presence. What's another difference, do you think, between um, Protestantism and Catholicism? Yeah, I'm just trying to think that I remember a time in my life, like it was after my conversion, you know, I was cradle Catholic, but then I had to choose obviously to remain Catholic. And after I'd made that choice, I moved to Melbourne for uni and I moved into a student residence that was run by a Baptist church. There was about 50 Baptist residents and then me and one other Catholic. 
So we'd be, you know, sitting around at night playing a board game or whatever it might be, just hanging out. And they'd be like, but Danny, what about purgatory? Where's that in the Bible? Mm-hmm. And then I would have to go away. I'll be like, well, I don't want to tell you the, the misinformation. So let me just find out. And I would go and I would study. Like every week I was studying something new about the church. And that was when I realized how many differences there were. Um, you know, Luther purgatory, for example, that was obviously something that they were very concerned about because the word isn't in the Bible at all. Mm-hmm. Um, So then that was a great time for me because I got to learn about not only the differences, but also it made me grow in my faith, I guess, learning what we what we believed in the church, in the Catholic church. And it's again, it's going deep. And when we go through doubt, when we're confronted about our faith, that's how we go deeper into our faith. Mm -hmm. So we can either run away and give in or so to speak, or we can take something more active and go and search and learn. Um, even myself as a priest, I don't know everything. I don't understand everything. For example, one thing that I uh, struggled with, even when now I'm okay with it, but one thing I did struggle with, even when I was a seminarian, was was Mary. I, Mary was something somehow that I always struggled with. And you think like, oh, he's becoming a priest. He should be so Marian. He should do this. But I really struggled with that. I struggled with the understanding of Mary, the understanding, why should we go to Mary when we can go straight to Jesus? You know, see, and this is one of the things that uh, Protestants don't have. They don't have this, which I've discovered to be this gift of Mary, this Mary that, that pulls us towards Jesus. You know, like I see that in my mother as well. You know, she, she's the one that always pulls m- me towards God and not only that but even I see it the other way you know, for, I go to Malta once a year. You've yeah. just come back I from Malta. I approximately go to Malta once a year <laughs> since my 25th birthday at least. Yes. So, but I, I, I don't go to Malta often, okay? And there are a lot of people that want to meet me and um, because I was brought up there, you know, and um, and I, I say no. When I go, I say no, look, it's my family time. It's a time to be with my parents. But if someone wants to see me, and they really want to see me. They don't come to me. Who do they go to? So they, they go to my mom and they say, hey, can you ask if Father Rob would come and visit or come and pray or do this wedding? And you, what do you think will happen if I asked, if my mom asked me? Well, of course you'll say yes. How do you say no to your mom? Exactly, exactly. And so this is the one thing I understood about the devotion to Mary as well. You know, is that um, how, how could Jesus say no to his mom when we go to his, his mom together um, towards Jesus? And I think that was a breakthrough in me understanding and converting again to, to um, a deeper understanding of the Catholic faith. One thing that I really struck me about Elisa's story was that you know, even in the conversation we had before that was not recorded, unfortunately, if I'd recorded the whole time with her, it would have been a two, three hour long podcast, but worth every second. Um, But one thing they did was her and her husband, Hayden, are very analytical. I remember being in Hayden's homeroom, actually, in high school, and he was always like studious. And that's what they did with their conversion. Mm-hmm. Like it was a calling on their hearts, but they also looked into it. And there was things like that, like Mary and the Eucharist. We mentioned that before, but they looked into all of these. They studied them. They looked at what the church taught, what their current church was teaching. But one thing they did was when they committed, they committed to it all. They didn't go, well, Mm. we like this Eucharist part, but the Mary part, we're struggling. We don't know if that's legit, so we'll ignore that. Like, I think that was something that really struck me was that when they, well, when Elisa, especially um, when she came to the church, like she... She embraced it all. Yeah. And so like, and this is one of the things that I find also in Catholicism, um, sometimes that people choose what to believe and choose what not to. It doesn't mean we understand everything, but we need to embrace everything. 
Otherwise, it becomes like a cafeteria Catholicism. I'll have a little bit of this, a little bit of this, but I won't have this. Yeah. And it ends up sort of uh, uh, like not the Catholic faith. And I think this is one of the things that we need to learn to trust the church, even though we don't understand the church, even though we might not agree with the church. The church has thousands of years of wisdom um, that we, and tradition that we, we hold on to. But that's another subject for another time. <laughs> um, and again, it doesn't mean that we agree and we understand. It doesn't mean, but uh, again, trusting mother church. I think this is something so beautiful. And I, uh, listening to Elisa as well, talk about her trust and her love for the church. And I thought that was so yeah. beautiful. Yeah, it is a really incredible interview. So instead of Father Rob and me just keeping talking about how good it is or how touching it was, we might just go straight into that now. So here's the interview with Elisa Frizzell. with Elisa Frizzell. So Elisa, you're a young 20-something-year-old woman and you've got a pretty beautiful story about your faith. So I was wondering if you want to just introduce yourself, who you are, and then also can you talk about, I guess, how you met God? Yeah, definitely. Thanks so much for having me. I'm pretty ecstatic to be here, to say the least. Um, Yeah, like you said, my name's Elisa. I I grew up in country Victoria. I would describe myself as uh, growing up in a typical Aussie family. Last year, I got to marry my husband after nearly six and a half years of dating. <laughs> so I'm a wife. I'm, I'm an employee, a cadet valuer at a property valuation firm. And also at the moment, I study online at uni to be a full uh, full valuer. I don't know. I guess I would say, though, my most important identity, though, is being a Christian. It sounds kind of cliche, but I can't imagine who I'd be today without God in my life. But yeah, how I met God. Yeah. Um, I didn't grow up in the church or even grow up in a family with faith for that matter. Um, I was baptized in the Anglican church as a baby, but I guess that was more of a cultural thing than anything else. Family. Yeah. They don't see faith as anything necessarily important enough to spend time committing to. So um, I went to a small public primary school where, you know, we occasionally had RE classes, that's that's religion, religious education classes. Um, And as a kid, I knew these people called Adam and Eve and how we all came from them. And I knew that there was this guy called Jesus and he had a mum called Mary. And, you know, there was three old guys and a star, you know, but um, the climax of those religious lessons was getting to eat hot cross buns. (laughs) So um, that was about the extent of religion in my life growing up. Um, But it all changed when I was in high school, around 15 years old. um, I was invited to a few Christian camps and yeah, that really became the game changer for me. Um, I spent time with people that I had never before been around and they just had this authenticity, you know, uh, something so captivating that I I just knew that what they were on about was right. (laughs) They were so genuine. Yeah. Looking back, I just can't help but know that this was all on God's timing because any sooner in my life, if I had been any younger, I might've been, you know, more influenced by my parents. So after these uh, camps, I began going to um, a non-denominational, but essentially evangelical Protestant church. 
Um, the pastor's family would pick me up every Sunday and take me and they they became like a second family to me. Their church just had this huge passion and focus, I guess, on relying on scripture. And I was there for years. Um, I was involved in the music ministry team and Hayden came along too. And as it was a smaller church, I really developed this sense of being a part of a church family there. Um, I got to spend quite a few years attending this church and and building my passion for God's kingdom on earth. And I was even called a Jesus freak once at school because all my conversations just seemed to come back to wanting to talk about God. But along the way, I always had a foot in the Catholic church. Uh, I went to a Catholic high school. I had been to many masses and got involved in liturgies, joined faith and ministry groups where I actually met you, Danny. (laughs) Um, And I tried to use my gifts as well. So I would play in worship bands. That's where I met Father Rob. Um, And I took classes about religious education, um, theology, where I could, because I was was just so passionate for anything about God. Yeah. So we've known each other a few years. Like we met back then um, when you kind of had that foot in, you know, in Catholicism, I guess, like Catholic school, you're surrounded by some Catholics, but you're going to this non-denominational church. But fast forward to 2019 and you're very devout practicing Catholic. What happened? (laughs) Like, what does that journey look like? Yeah, it was... Quite a flip, I would say, but uh, it took years um, and it wasn't easy. I'll definitely admit that. So in the years after leaving high school, um, both Hayden and I started to feel this pull back to the Catholic Church that just couldn't be ignored. And honestly, yeah, it was really hard at first. I really didn't want to, (laughs) Um, but this feeling wouldn't go away. And Hayden and I spent years of discerning and looking into answers and God's truth, finding God's truth in the differences that were between the Protestant and the Catholic faiths. We spent so much time educating ourselves about the true nature of the Catholic Church because we had all these biases um, and misconceptions about the church that were kind of fueled by only listening to opinions about uh, from other Protestants. There were a few times along the way that I was actually getting misinformed by those who called themselves Catholics. So I had this store of biases that prohibited me from wanting to join the Catholic Church. But for every every issue we tackled, God seemed to be calling us closer and closer to, you know, the true presence in the Catholic Church. Um, the reality that, yeah, for the early church, attending a gathering on the Lord's Day with other people to worship meant, you know, it meant more than being preached at for 40 minutes, um, which is what we were experiencing in our church. In the Catholic Church, there was just there was so much more historicity and and reverence that we just felt lacking in our Protestant faith. But every time one of these negative beliefs of mine turned out to be wrong, I was so defensive. <laughs> like I fought so hard to rationalize against it. It was not easy for me. But the turning point came when I experienced what I can only really say, I guess, was a supernatural, yeah, a supernatural renewal or softening of my heart. I never even asked for it. (laughs) That's how against becoming a Catholic I was at that time. But almost overnight, without ever mentally deciding to, I was finding peace that in these answers that we were finding, um, in the truth that we were seeing, that it was just so clear. But I, I didn't want to accept it before. Wow, that's so beautiful that, you know, all in God's timing, he softened your heart and he prepared you to to join the Catholic faith. Mm, yeah. But you mentioned that, it, you know, it were, you were defensive. You weren't ready to. You didn't want to. <laughs> what was like, what was the hardest part about, I guess, coming to that realization that maybe God is calling you to step into the Catholic faith? What were some of the really difficult parts of that journey? 
Yeah, I mean, there was probably, once we were finding all these answers, yeah, dispelling these misconceptions, I had to face the the hardest part for me, which was going to be leaving my Protestant family, my church family that I had developed. But, you know, we got to a point where for months Hayden and I had been going to a Protestant church service on Sunday morning, as well as uh, maybe Saturday night's vigil mass every weekend. So, you know, we were straddling between the two churches while we discerned in private, but eventually the decision, it was just too clear to avoid any longer. And I had to face it. I had to approach my church family and, and say that I was committing to fully joining the Catholic Church. And in a sense, I guess I was seemingly leaving them behind, but I never meant to change those relationships that, um, yeah, they meant so much to me. But it broke my heart um, when almost instantaneously they no longer really trusted that we had this true heart for Jesus. You know, they heard, we want to join the Catholic Church. We've been on these Um, this mission of discernment and they were scared for us you know they were just as largely misinformed about the catholic church as we were and that yeah it really broke my heart and i still feel a little bit of hurt about that but god is slowly healing that and um yeah i just praise him for that yeah that would be heartbreaking to leave this family or like have changed relationships with Mm. a family that you've been with for so many years but then obviously you made that decision as hard as it was yeah But I guess why Catholicism? You say that you searched out answers, but what were some of the biggest things that drew you into the Catholic faith rather than just kind of, you know, you know, the people in that church loved Jesus? Yeah. Obviously, your faith was nurtured there. Why couldn't you just stay there and the Catholic faith? I guess as to why Catholicism, it did end up becoming the fulfillment to everything that God had begun in my faith journey as a Protestant. Um, But I only really found the strength to admit that I'd been wrong and leave my comfort zone because of God. That's eventually what changed everything for me. But I know that hearing someone uh, when I was a Protestant say that it was a personal experience um, that changed their heart um, to be able to join the Catholic Church, that would have never been enough for, you know, self-confessed, non-denominational Protestant Elisa. (laughs) So it is important to talk about some of the theology that's different between Christian denominations. I guess one of the... One of the main things that I observed in Protestant circles, especially ones that I was involved in, um, you know, it's hard to generalise, but one thing that I saw was uh, salvation. It was often viewed as this prayer that you pray in a one-time event service with emotional music and, you know, there's a true heart for renewal, but often that prayer was prayed, you raised your hand or you came to the front of the church and was blessed by the pastor, but then you got into the car and went home and you moved on from it and I just I knew that that was not meant to be repeated over and over and called salvation so something that we learnt was you know salvation is totally not something we earn the catholic church doesn't believe that you know the whole faith versus works debate i i took this misunderstanding that i had been exposed to about the catholic church's view on salvation without ever actually looking into it myself was one of those massive biases I had against the church. But I found that from the Catholic viewpoint, salvation, it's a posture of repentance and faith, you know, that yes, you begin in a moment um, in a prayer, but 
you also maintain for the rest of your life. You know, it encapsulates God's promise uh, that we are given in scripture, I guess, ask and you shall receive, or whoever believes in the Son will have eternal life. But it also encapsulates the the challenging passages that, you know, we find in in like James, where he says that faith without works is dead. You know, that's confronting. How do we make sense of that? But true faith, you know, it will produce works. The church believes that saving faith cannot exist without manifesting itself to love your neighbor as yourself, or likewise confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It just, it answered all the questions that we had. Another thing that I found was that there was just this peace in the mass, you know, the time that spent worshiping with a reverence for a holy God. There was this, uh, this richness that I hadn't experienced while I was sort of stuck in that mindset that I used to be in. You know, now I experience this true mercy, this true forgiveness um, and groundedness by a church that it unashamedly nurtures its people through the traditions of the early church, both from what we know from scripture and those founded on apostolic authority. Whereas, you know, you could go to a Protestant church and then go to the next Protestant church and they never necessarily believed the same thing. There was often this focus on the negative, on on the theological difference between the two churches uh, and warnings, you know, to be careful when interacting with other Christians rather than the fact that we were just there to give honor and to give glory to the one same God that we were worshiping. That just wasn't there. We found in the catechism, it says, even though the Catholic church is scattered throughout the whole world and journeyed over many centuries, its message is it's true and solid. It says, where one and the same way of salvation in the church appears throughout the whole world and has done so since the early church. It actually guards the deposit of faith that we received, right? The deposit that was received of great price. Um, and you know, that was the price that Jesus paid. That was the price that the martyred apostles and the saints throughout history, they all paid that price. That's so beautiful. And I think that um, I'm curious, another thing that's universal around the church, and you've touched on this, is the mass. Mm. You know, you can go to any mass around the world and we've got the same readings as they yeah. do, just in a different language, in our <laughs> own languages. But there's also the Eucharist. And I know that when I speak with my friends that might be non-Christians or Protestants, they're often like, but do you really believe that that becomes yeah. the f- flesh of Jesus? And it's kind of like, well, I do. Let me just sit you down for a few hours yeah. and explain <laughs> why I think that. Oh, I but totally agree. <laughs> what was it like coming to I guess, you know, you and your husband Hayden looked into that. And what was that journey like coming to the belief that that is the real and true presence of Jesus on the altar? Yeah. Like you said, you could talk about it for hours, couldn't you? (laughs) There's so much behind it. And I would encourage anyone who is struggling with this to look into it, to consult the catechism, the official church uh, documents, uh, talk to your local priest, um, people that you trust, just look into it because it is so important, isn't it? You know, when it comes to the Eucharist, I I personally believe that that God just knew that we would need like a physical earthly help, I guess you could say. You know, we are physical humans. We're physical bodies. And I just believe that he would know that we would need this help. And and the sacraments are just that. It's more about I get to participate in this blessing. This it's the real presence of Jesus on earth. 
that God's made available for us. And it's not about judging those in other denominations who don't participate in that gift, who maybe don't fully believe that, you know, I'm no more superior because of my Catholic identity. I'm I'm merely just relying on God's grace, you know, just as much as all Christian disciples of, of many denominations and theological differences are. Actually, Danny, I once heard that if your theology makes you feel superior to others, to rethink your theology. That's awesome. Yeah, because it definitely doesn't align with God's word to believe that you are superior to any other human being. Mm. Um, and that was a major lesson that I had to learn through this whole journey was that to claim to have you know absolute certainty, whether that be in um, something theological or that the church, the Catholic church was the one and only church, whatever it may be, to claim that I was just so certain and everyone else was wrong, that was, that was me attempting to, I guess deny that we as humans we do have limitations you know um especially in our understanding and that was it was me trying to cut out i guess the importance of faith right um to be absolutely certain it's essentially trying to live without faith and without allowing just for the mystery of god and after joining the catholic church at the expense of any other denomination by no means i'm saying my faith or my beliefs are superior to any others or that I have any right to judge any others. I really had to humble myself to accept that in this lifetime on earth, I'm, I'm never going to be able to fit God into the box where I can fully understand him. You know, um, he was just always blowing my mind out of the water, whatever conclusion that I felt comfortable with. And that was becoming a huge part of sin that I was struggling with at the time. I was, I was looking to be comfortable and in control, not trusting him and submitting to the understanding that he's always going to be bigger than any of my attempts to define him. Yeah, that's so beautiful and so like profound. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, you blow my mind. So I guess another thing that we should probably mention is that you didn't just decide, you know, when you're on this journey that, yep, we're going to become Catholic and stop going to the Sunday service that we were going to and start going to the Catholic church full time. You have gone through the RCIA program, which is the adult formation to enter the church. So um, you're right. I went through uh, the RCIA program, which is the right of Christian initiation for adults program. So I went through as a candidate and that's someone who's already been baptized, but was to be confirmed in the faith essentially then you can participate fully in the church hey so it was um a couple of months of christian formation we looked into all different topics about prayer about what god instructs of his church how the church uh here on earth works and um yeah i think the beautiful part about going through that process was at the end i was able to yeah fully participate in the mass before, you know, I'd go up with my arms crossed and receive a blessing. And while I didn't mind that at the time, it just felt it was a different experience to finally be able to see receive the body and the blood. Suddenly all the prayers in the mass, all the preparation of the gifts beforehand, it it made sense. And those prayers just took on a whole new beauty. That's so beautiful. And, you know, it said the Eucharist is the source and the summit of the Catholic faith. And then it sounds like going through this program, you could just, you know, 
as an adult, you know, be able to experience that, yeah, it really is that important, mm. that it should be the center of the Catholic faith. Thank you so much for this interview, Elisa. It's so beautiful. Like, yeah, as you mentioned, we've known each other for years, but this is the first time I've been able to sit down and hear this story. So it's such an, a privilege for me to be able to like share this with you, but then you sharing this with so many people. I guess to finish up now, do you think we could just pray um, for people that might be going through something similar or might have someone in their lives going through something similar yeah. of joining the Catholic faith or even just going on a journey to meet Jesus in their lives? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, you know, if it's all right with you, actually, I'd love to pray a prayer that Paul prayed for the people in Ephesus. Um, it's in Ephesians chapter three, and it's a prayer for spiritual strength. And I think it really is fitting for um, this journey that I've been on, especially. So in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we pray that according to the riches of your glory, he may grant you the strengthened with power. uh, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of him. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all the generations, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much for this, Elisa. We really appreciate it. Um, we'll be praying for you and your husband and just this journey and also your parish community. Thank you so much and God bless you. Thank you. It's been a blast. <laughs> today on the Catholic Influences podcast. We love hearing from you, so please get in touch at frgministry.com forward slash podcast or any of our social medias, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at FRG Ministry. Until next time, God bless.